0: Welcome in to the Day Den, Episode One here. I am your host, Taylor, and I am thrilled to have this platform, albeit one that, you know, I've created myself, to talk about my favorite team, the Cincinnati Bengals. Maybe it's your favorite team, too, if you're listening to this. But hey, if you don't root for the Bengals and you're still listening to this podcast, we appreciate you, too. First off, why start a podcast? Why another Bengals podcast? Well, personally, I'm passionate about the Bengals, as you can imagine, and I enjoy using podcasting in general to express my opinions. I do some fantasy football podcasting on the side um, and I've gotten some experience there over the last year plus doing a number of podcasts and I mean, a podcast is another way to connect with fans, and that's ultimately what I'm interested in doing as a fan myself. Obviously, hopefully we can celebrate together more often than not. We can commiserate together if we need to, probably when we need to. And and all the things that go along with rooting for the same team. And I recognize, listen, there's no shortage of other Bengals podcasts. If you go to Apple or Spotify and type in Cincinnati Bengals, there are definitely some out there. Uh, the Athletics, Cincy Jungle, The Inquirer, Locked On. These are all obviously very reputable podcasts for sure. They've been doing their thing and doing it well. Uh, but there's also a number out there that if you kind of go through the catalog of Bengals podcasts that have been discontinued uh, after four, five, six episodes uh, that are just been dormant for years. So there's there's also potential there for uh, additional podcasts to talk about the Bengals. And I just I don't think there's anything wrong with having multiple viewpoints and opinions about the same topics. And uh, ultimately, none of those other podcasts can give my opinion because they are not me. So uh, that's why I'm here. I'm hopeful you're here to stay as well. We'll work in some guests along the way and just have a good time talking fan to fan here about the Cincinnati Bengals. So a little bit about me here as we wrap up the intro, uh, I am a lifelong fan, lived in the Cincinnati area my entire life. My earliest Bengals memories aren't the best, but you know that can be said about a 90s kid. Uh, I remember Jeff Blake, who's was a big fan, I remember Carl Pickens, Darnay Scott, I really enjoyed watching those guys every week. I also specifically remember, I'm going to say probably six years old, seven years old, crying most Sundays because, you know, the Bengals were losing and losing often. And my mom would always say, you know, it's just a game. You kind of need to get a grip, Taylor. It's just a game. And I understand the lesson she is trying to to present to me. There are bigger things in life and, uh, you know, can't throw a tantrum. But when I look back, I am not so sure that I was the issue. Uh, It might have been the team we were rooting for at that time. Anybody that's lived through the 90s rooting for the Bengals knows it was a dark time. Um, I am glad though to have now sort of experienced the bounce back the uh, the Marvin Lewis golden age that we had there for a while we never made it quite as far as we wanted to but hey we were making the playoffs and we were competing and we had good teams and that was a lot more fun than the mid-90s I've also of course experienced the excruciating pain of the Steelers playoff loss I you know, that's another memory just seared into my brain as a fan. I was watching with some friends and my dad had come over to my house and we were you know, one second all up on our feet. Faces six inches from the TV, clapping, jumping around. And moments later, collapsed. Uh, my dad fell backwards. I actually thought he broke my couch when he fell backwards <laughs> uh, because it was a it was a organic natural reaction that he had with the the penalties and the jeremy hill fumble and i can't remember what was the straw that broke the camel's back for him and almost broke my couch but you know my dad just collapsing backwards and all of us just immediately deflated uh the the joe burrow injury i'm not going to talk about it a lot because i don't like talking about it It makes it sick to my stomach but just the latest chapter in in gut-wrenching bingles moments quick aside that same sunday that joe burrow got injured Uh, My youngest son was playing with, you know, we didn't know he was doing this, but he was playing with some of the ornaments on our Christmas tree, banged a couple of them together that happened to be glass and not plastic piece of glittery glass gets into his eye. We have to go to the ER. Turns out everything's fine. It came out. No big deal. Uh, More of a scare than anything else. And and later that night, my wife and I are talking after the kids go to bed and she's just like, wow, what a day. And I was like, I cannot believe Joe Burrow got his knee shredded. And that did not go over super well with my wife because she was obviously thinking more about our children. But you know, in my mind, hey, our kids are okay. Everything's fine there. Joe Burrow is not fine right now. So I've lived it, you've lived it. We've endured these these moments that have hopefully toughened us up. And and I think brighter days are ahead. And those brighter days hopefully start, you know, in 2021 here with the NFL draft coming up in just a few days. And I want to talk through the options the Bengals have at number five and kind of um, my thoughts on that. And I don't have any groundbreaking thoughts, probably. If you are a regular listener to other podcasts uh, that cover the Bengals, if you do a lot of Twittering out in the Bengals realm, you've seen a lot of these, these opinions probably expressed from other people. But I interact mostly with people in the fantasy football community in my little Twitter world that are not Bengals fans. And the absolute lack of understanding they have of of what Cincinnati is and is not, uh, can and cannot do, just baffles me. And so that prompted me a couple of weeks ago, I put out a a Twitter thread that, um, you know, it it got more traction among Bengals fans, which is great. But it really was intended for the people that that don't understand the situation around Cincinnati. Um, So the first thing I touched on was... There's, there's a number of points, at least like six or seven or something like that, that we have to acknowledge or or other people need to acknowledge when they are considering the Bengals options at number five. And the first one is the Bengals are getting a difference maker at number five. They're getting somebody that I'm not going to say is foolproof. We see busts happen all the time. But assuming that we are deciding between Jamar Chase Uh, Penny Sewell or Kyle Pitts, you're getting somebody there that is going to make an immediate impact, that is addressing a need you have on your team. There is no wrong choice. So the takes that I have seen that are the Bengals passing on Sewell would be absolute malpractice. It's it's bonkers to me that somebody is that narrow-minded, but there are people that think that way. You got to recognize, no matter who we take out of those three guys, it's going to take a lot. I think it's, it would take a a extremely unforeseen circumstance for me as the number five pick is being announced to be like, what? That guy? Uh, otherwise, if it's any of those three, I, I can defend it. I can understand it, and I think I'm cool with it. The second thing was is I understand and am not – diminishing the lack of trust that people have in the Bengals front office. And in fact, I think that plays a lot uh, into people's opinions on Cincinnati and how they think about Cincinnati as a, as a franchise, and that's fine. Again, I can't defend the front office and some of the things they've done. It doesn't help when you have a former player like Carson Palmer that just just can't keep the Bengals uh, out of, out of his mouth when he's talking and giving interviews about how much he didn't like it here and how terrible things were and whatever else, but that's fine. But ultimately, those types of things we hear and and people outside of Cincinnati hear impact the way Cincinnati is viewed and creates a bias. And it's okay, but you can't pretend a bias does not exist when you're talking about the Bengals most of the time. Then the other thing I wanted to note was there are many ways to build a team. And specifically, I'm thinking about the offensive line here. Uh, Going back to that thought of you know Sewell or bust here. If you don't take Sewell... What are you doing at at the offensive line position? You can build through free agency you know, trades to a lesser degree, but we just saw Kansas City. they're in a completely different situation. I get it, but they just rebuilt and revamped their entire offensive line, which needed help through free agency and then a, a recent trade with Baltimore. Um, a lot of the top free agents this off season, most coveted ones were offensive linemen, and teams went out and addressed those needs by signing those guys. The draft being another way that you can get an offensive lineman. There there are many ways to, and and, and even along the draft, it's not just taking the number one offensive lineman is the only way to fix your offensive line. You can take a a tier two guy, a tier three guy, plug them in. Um, There's just many ways to do it. There's not one way. The other thing I want to note is I think our offensive line, as currently constructed, if no other changes were made to the line, the season started today, it will be better in 2021 than it was in 2020. Now, hopefully, they do a little bit more, and they're not done. But arguably, the two weakest players along that offensive line will not be starting for the Bengals next season. Michael Jordan and Bobby Hart, they are going to be replaced. Replacing Michael Jordan and Bobby Hart right now, you're looking at Xavier Suafilo, who was not, otherworldly last year but he was good when he played he missed 10 games with injury uh, he played pretty well when he was in there definitely better than Jordan or Hart and then of course the free agent signing of Riley Reef, who we're slated right now to play right tackle we'll see if he ends up there those two guys replacing Michael Jordan and Bobby Hart already represent a major upgrade among the offensive line now is that what I want the line to be at uh, just okay not necessarily but they are better Additionally, the previous offensive line coach, Jim Turner, was terrible. And in this Twitter thread I created, I linked in uh, Joe Goodberry. If you are out on Twitter and you're a Bengals fan, you're certainly following at Joe Goodberry. And, and he talked about back in early April how bad Jim Turner was and how under Turner, all of our offensive linemen experienced regression. And he was using kind of PFF grade as their uh the marker to, to show success or failure and Billy price past blocking as a rookie under Frank Pollock was at 66 PFF grade, uh, under Frank or uh, Jim Turner in 2019 was 26 and then 29 in 2020. So that's a lot of numbers, but Billy price goes from a 66 grade to 26 to 29, the 66 being under Frank Pollock as offensive line coach. And that's just one example. Uh, Others, Quentin Spain along the offensive line struggled under Jim Turner, which was a little unusual looking at what his career had been up to that point. And guess what? Jim Turner's gone. And now we've got Frank Pollock in there who is highly regarded for his work in Dallas along that offensive line. Um, It's good to have him back in the fold. And I think that helps some of these guys. I don't think Billy Price is ever going to become an all-pro type of guy, but I think he has the potential to be better than what he's been the last two years and coaching up some of those guys in addition to having a coach like that makes me a little more comfortable spending a second and or third and or fourth round pick on an offensive lineman in hopes of developing them and hoping that they can become a soul now i understand you could say you know what burn the hands or two in the bush you could just go get soul who you already know is really really good instead of hoping to develop somebody else but I'll say I feel a little bit better about potentially trying to develop somebody to the level of Sewell. Other thing to note, if Cincinnati passes on Sewell at number five, that does not mean they're ignoring the offensive line altogether. Like I said, number of ways to build up an offensive line. I would expect them to hit offensive line in round two and or three and or four. And this is a pretty deep offensive lineman class. And I've heard the argument that the guys you get in round two or three are not at the level of Sewell. Well, of course they're not. If they were, they wouldn't be available in rounds two or three. Nobody is arguing that they are at the level of Sewell. However, the argument can be made that these are solid players that are ready to contribute that represent a major upgrade along our offensive line, which may not be saying too much because of how bad our line was, but, you know, something to note. The next point that was maybe a little controversial contrary to popular belief definitely wasn't what I expected was positional value when when again this is a PFF article and some people love PFF some people hate it and I am using this as just one reference point not the end all be all here uh, but PFF did an article back in June of 2020 by Michael Renner I believe he was on the bachelor shout out Michael Renner if that was you I know it was one of the PFF guys pretty sure Michael Renner I watched, that, I watched that season of The Bachelor. Got robbed, man. Anyways, um, he wrote an article back in June talking about wins above replacement. So what he was looking at was the most elite players at each position. So he was looking at those that were at top 10 at their position and what their wins above replacement average was. Quarterback was at the top of that list. So having a top 10 quarterback was good for about two and a half wins above replacement. If you look at number two position, it was actually wide receiver, and that was at 0.7. Um, I would have expected offensive line to be there. Offensive line was way down at zero point, a little under 0.3 wins above replacement. So an argument could be made that wide receiver or having a top 10 wide receiver is as valuable as having a, or more valuable than having a top 10 offensive lineman. Now, a lot of people would say, nope, line line is important, you got to build up the trenches. I get it. But this article gives you a different viewpoint. Now let's go through those options. The case for drafting Sewell. Obviously, we had to buy bad offensive line, sixth worse than pass blocking, PFF grade, twelfth worse than run blocking. Even though we signed Riley Reef, it was just a one-year deal. He's in at right tackle, and we we don't really have any long-term options along this line other than Jonah Williams. Uh, Sewell dominated as a teenager at a power five school. He's not coming from a, a small school. that didn't face any competition. He's widely regarded as the top lineman in this draft. And when you look at the impact it could have on Joe Burrow, Burrow was seventh 17 in NFL in completion percentage when he had a clean pocket, according to PFF. So almost 75% of his passes were completed with a clean pocket. So imagine, you know how good he was, you know, rushing around all the time last year behind a shoddy line, giving him a clean pocket. And you've got a guy that can, complete three quarters of his passes is absolutely ridiculous. So that's not super unusual that a you know quarterback performs better with a clean pocket, but seventh in the NFL, almost 75% completion percentage. There's an argument to be made there that drafting Sewell, creating a, a clean pocket more often than not definitely helps Burrow. I looked at recent top 10 linemen that were taken as well in drafts and they, a lot of them, most of them have hit. You've got Jack Conklin in 2016. Quentin Nelson's one of the best guards in the league right now. He was drafted in 2018. McGlinchey in 2018 has been a little up and down, but mostly good. I, I hesitate to throw in any of the guys taking last, like Andrew Thomas, I think went top 10 to the Giants last year, but I'm not going to say whether he's a success or failure based off of just his rookie season. But there's been some recent success there that that taking a top-end tackle or offensive lineman that is widely regarded as worthy of a top-ten pick will pay off, um, and, and you're locking up your potential franchise cornerstone for years to come. Now, what's the case for drafting Jamar Chase? Well, there's a need there. The Bengals led the league in three wide receiver sets. They ran according to Sharp Football Stats. If you look at some other sites, it differs a little bit, but I looked at Sharp Football Stats and the Bengals ran three wide receiver sets about 76% of the time. Who was in our three wide receiver sets last year? Tyler Boyd, T. Higgins, A.J. Green. A.J. Green actually led wide receivers on snaps but was extremely inefficient. And he ranked last in the league in separation last in the league in catch percentage. And if you watched, it was ugly. There were more, I'm, I'm not saying he quit on the team. I respect what he did for our city and, and what he gave to our team for so long. But there were times last year watching AJ Green where something was missing. Routes weren't being completed. He was cutting them off. He seemed kind of half-heartedly running some routes. He wasn't able to go up and get a tough pass that was maybe a little off target. Um, there was something missing there for sure. AJ Green's gone now and, and who's replacing him? Tate. I like Tate. Do I like Tate starting 76% of the snaps for wide receivers or on the field 76% of the time? Not necessarily. Um, not really what I'm looking for from my third wide receiver. So the question then is, okay, there's a need at wide receiver, but do the Bengals have to spend pick number five on a wide receiver? It's a deep wide receiver class, get someone in later rounds. And my argument to that is you have to consider that Cincinnati has a need for a certain type of receiver. We need someone that can play outside, someone that could be a dynamic playmaker. We don't need a slot guy. We have Tyler Boyd, who has dabbled in playing on outside, I believe, in 2019. And he did okay. But overall, he's been much better throughout his career playing in the slot. He's a specialist out of the slot. So I don't want to take a slot receiver, plug him in, expect him to excel as a rookie, and then move somebody who's already really good in the slot outside and hope that they're as good as they are out there as they are in the slot. I would rather keep Tyler Boyd where he's comfortable, keep Higgins on the outside and get an opposite outside receiver. There's not a whole lot of that in this draft. There's a lot of slot receivers, not a lot of outside guys. Terrace Marshall's one that's been thrown around. I don't know if he's lasting to pick two. I'm also personally not really high on Terrace Marshall. He's definitely not as safe of a prospect as Jamar chase. Jamar Chase has the rapport with Joe Burrow from LSU, and that's well reported. I went and looked at Chase and Burrow's stats together. So Chase notched a 84-reception, 1,780-yard, 20-touchdown campaign in 2019 with Joe Burrow. 14 of the 20 touchdowns between Burrow to Chase were of 20 or more yards. Uh, there's a combination there of deep passes. There's a combination there of yards after catch from Jamar Chase. But either way, the guy is dynamic. He can make huge plays for your team, and that's exactly what this team needs. That would be the argument for taking Jamar Chase at number five. So we have the case for Sewell. We have the case for Chase. Now we have a case for drafting Kyle Pitts at number five, the tight end out of Florida, the athletic freak. We mentioned the Bengals need playmakers. That's exactly what Kyle Pitts would bring to this team. He kind of makes sense when you consider the mismatch opportunities he provides so you know Jamar Chase is probably not going to be an extraordinary mismatch to a cornerback a, a good cornerback um, I think he can he can beat them he's probably superior to most cornerbacks he'd go against but Kyle Pitts creates a different type of mismatch when you've got somebody that a linebacker can't cover because Pitts can run 4-4 speed a defensive back can't adequately cover him because he's 6'6 and 245 and has this crazy wingspan. It would be interesting when you think about the the kind of defensive-centric way the AFC North has been, and it might be getting away from that a little bit, but like the Steelers, Ravens, Browns have always been thought of. Well, let's say Steelers and Ravens, we always think of having good defensive – Lately, the Browns defense has has really stepped up with Miles Garrett leading the charge there. It would be intriguing to have somebody that those defenses would, would have issues trying to stop Kyle Pitts. Now, I would hope that if the Bengals took Pitts there, that they have plans for using him in creative ways. That they're not just lining him up in the tight end position and having him block 50% of the time, run routes 50% of the time. I think he should be used uh, more as a a receiver than a blocker. So splitting him out wide, creating mismatches that way, putting him in motion, not relying on him to be an extension of your offensive line, but rather an extension of your passing game. And this is, again, I'm going to admit this is a really this is a stretch to say, but it's not true. Cincinnati has invested in tight ends in the past. I, they, they drafted Gresham 21st overall. Granted, that was 11 years ago. They drafted Eifert 21st overall. That was eight years ago. And like it or not, they did sink the 52nd overall pick into Drew Sample a couple of years ago. That hasn't worked out exactly as we thought it would, but they, they are not afraid to invest in the tight end position. It doesn't look like they, uh, as a team, as a front office, uh, don't value the position or they just want to punt at that position. So there is a case for Kyle Pitts. I would say he's probably my least preferred of the three. Again, if if either of these three names were announced as the fifth pick for the Bengals, I'm fine with any of them. Pitts is my least preferred. And it's just, it's just kind of... If we know he's going to produce like Travis Kelsey is producing now, absolutely sign me up for sure. But even when we think about Kelsey, it took him a couple of years in the NFL, maybe his third year, or maybe it was after his third year, before he, everything clicked and he became the Travis Kelsey we know now. So is Pitt somebody that we want to spend the next two to three years waiting on him becoming Travis Kelsey? Or maybe he never does. We have guys like uh, TJ Hawkinson went to the Lions, I think at like number seven or eight or nine or something like that. Top 10 a couple of years ago. Noah Fant went early to the Broncos and they're good players. Are either of those guys making their teams a winning team? I, I don't know. Are they enough of a difference maker? Now I think Pitts is probably regarded as higher than those guys as a prospect, but it just feels like less of a sure thing than Sewell or chase. So he's, my least preferred of the three, but I'm not going to sit here and say I'm team Sewell, team Chaser, team Pitts. I am as cliche as team make the Bengals better and any of those three guys do it. They represent major upgrades. They're likely impacting the team from day one. And I think that as Bengals fans, and again, I've seen it less from Bengals fans and more from people outside of Cincinnati. We need to keep an open mind about the options at five. I think it's a little narrow-minded to get so pigeonholed into this has to be the pick. This needs to be the guy. Either of those guys will help this team and help us get where we need to go. I think the Bengals are going to take Jamar Chase, and we'll see if this ages poorly. I think they're going Chase. Um, I mean, they haven't really tipped their hand. You can try to read the tea leaves. I think when I listened, what kind of pushed me to to the chase being the pick is I listened to Joe Burrow recently on Chris Collinsworth's podcast, and he talked about Jamar Chase and the relationship they have and how great of a player he is, and and he played with with Jamar Chase, so I would expect him to have those great things to say. He talks about how he keeps in touch with them, yada yada. When the conversation turned to Sewell, it was very much, "Yep, Sewell's a good player. Uh, I trust the team to to." Uh, I think he kept saying the way Burrow kept wording it was, I trust the team to take the best player that's available. I don't watch a lot of uh, tape of the incoming guys. And that was pretty much all he said. And and granted, he didn't play with Sewell, so he doesn't feel his passion. He's not friends with Sewell. Uh, But it, it was definitely night and day when you look at the review he was giving Jamar Chase versus Sewell. And I think that the Bengals, like it or not, Joe Burrow, Joe Burrow is not going to be the guy that pounds the table and says, take my guy or or I'm, I'm out of here. Um, No, no, doesn't strike me as a guy that's going to be threatening anybody. Um, I am sure they've asked Burrow his opinion on Chase. And I think if he's as enthusiastic to the front office about Jamar Chase as he was in that interview, and he's a pretty even keeled guy, Joe Burrow, when you listen to most of his interviews, he's pretty even keeled and you could. You could feel and hear the excitement in his voice talking about Jamar Chase. I think as the front office hears these types of things from their leader, from their franchise cornerstone, I just don't see there's any way that doesn't impact their thought process uh, as to who they might select there. So I think it will be Jamar Chase. If the uh, Falcons shock us and maybe take Chase at four, I think then the pick is definitely Sewell at number five, which again, I'm fine with as well. It'll be a really fun draft. Uh, I think round one will be fun just for the intrigue of is it Suler chase, but this is maybe it's just because I've looked more into it than I typically do beyond round one, but I think rounds two, three, and four will be really fun too, to see how they prioritize those other positions. So if they go chase at five, what linemen are there in rounds two and three? Do they double dip and go linemen in both rounds? Um, if they take Sewell at number five, is there a wide receiver that's there in round two that fits the profile we need? Is it Terrace Marshall? I hope it's not. Is it uh Diami Brown from North Carolina? Is that a little bit of a reach to take him at 38 overall? But he's probably not gonna be there in the third round. Um it will be interesting to see how they build around it and we're talking about two positions on the team, wide receiver and offensive line. We know they have other holes. They need a pass rush. They uh, could use an edge guy. I know I don't see a lot of um linebacker being listed as a major need for the team probably because it you know you would rather shore up those lines first. But our linebackers they're young but they are they're not great. Um and so would I be shocked if they took a, a linebacker in round 3 or maybe 4, not necessarily, just depending on how the board plays out. So I'm really interested in round 1 for the intrigue, but then I think rounds 2 through even 5 I'm interested to see how they draft after seeing how they've addressed pick number five and how they plan on building this team up. I think we're going to have a really good idea um, after this draft. And, you know, I'm still kind of holding out for Trey Turner. Last I checked, he still wasn't signed anywhere. So I don't know what that means. Maybe he's waiting for a certain team to express interest. Maybe other teams are waiting for his asking price to go down. I don't know, but, he would be interesting to have as a, a warm body on that line that has had a success in the past. Maybe we snag him as well at some point. Who knows? Either way, excited for the NFL draft, excited for the future of the Bengals. I will be back after the draft discussing. Uh, maybe I'll do grades. Maybe I'll do rating. I don't know. We'll be discussing some of the picks and the direction the team went and and how we project these guys to, to play into the future planes of the Cincinnati Bengals. Thank you for listening to episode one of the who Den. din. It has been a pleasure to discuss our Cincinnati Bengals with you. If you enjoy the podcast, which I hope you do give it a, a great rating. Give us a good review. Subscribe to the podcast. If you didn't enjoy it, but you've made it this far. Thank you for listening. Give us another shot. Give us episode two, three, four. See if you like it. If you don't, I won't hold it against you. Just, you know, be nice. Thank you guys. Hude.